All right, and welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. Um, and today our episode is brought to us by a few sponsors. And Ben, who's our first sponsor? Our first sponsor is The Hive here at, on the second floor of the Arlington Towers. We'd like to thank Fred and Tabitha for letting us use their podcast room. This is a special spot to us because it overlooks the Truckee River. Right, and our second sponsor is Butcher.com. That's Butcher with two R's, no E. And Butcher.com is your local marketplace for high-quality hand-cut steaks, grass-fed meats, natural chops, wild-caught seafood, and we all locally deliver to your door. And for our listeners, if you go to Butcher.com, we have a 10% off by using the code BEARFISH. 10% off. So take advantage of that. Some pretty hot product. And with that, we have a guest with us, Bodie Monroe. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Awesome. Glad you can make it. And uh, Ben? So, you know, as we start off, I this is one of my favorite parts. Tell us, who is Bodie? Hmm, I don't know. It uh, depends on who you ask. I, uh, I, you know, ultimately I kind of probably think of myself as a country boy raised in Reno, um, out south of Reno, uh, when Reno used to be kind of small. Lived on uh, the most polluted creek in, in Nevada, in Steamboat Creek. Um, thanks to thanks to our mining friends uh, way back in the day, um, but now now I probably more relate myself to, to being a dad and a husband and, and just uh, trying to trying to raise my boys to where they're happy but also not not sheltered um, and, and that they also have a love of the outdoors. Um, that's kind of that's kind of my whole goal in life is to get them out and enjoying enjoying the outdoors and. and you know, go to work, come home, but that's that's really what we're geared toward. So that's definitely more of who I am now. So. You know, there's um, something that really interests me about you and your lifestyle is you're involved in the community, and uh, you're connected to different organizations. You've served in the past. You're serving on some in the present. Um, can you just tell us a, a little bit about some of the organizations you're involved with um, how you got connected and what drove you to want to connect with your help your community you know when I bought actually when I bought my first pair of waders I got a free membership to Trout Unlimited um, and then so when you join Trout Unlimited you get automatically assigned to a local chapter um, and so when I did that I got assigned to the Sagebrush chapter which is out of Reno um, and just happened to be the timing of the deal um, we that chapter became Pretty, pretty unique in the fact that a, a doctor named Dr. Richard Croning died um, and left that chapter about $750,000. Um, and he left it um, he left it to a group of people that, that were, uh, I don't want to say floundering, but they had, they had no idea what to do with that kind of money. Um, they almost spent two-thirds of it on, a, on the cement fish pond at the south end of Carson City. Um, luckily, luckily, calmer heads prevailed, and um, some some people that were really, really smart and had some good experience helped us develop a, a funding program. And, and so, I, I started getting involved right then, and uh, I was on that board for almost ten years. Um, wow! And so it was, you know, it was definitely a a very good good place to spend some time. Um, and then. Um, we started, my wife and I have two boys, and so one's 11 and one's seven, and 
gradually those kids have taken over my life, like I mentioned in my little intro, um, to where I just didn't have the time to, to really be involved in Trout Unlimited because it's a great cause still. I just, I just, I need to spend those free times with, that I have with my kids and, or at least in their activities, which led me to kind of the next thing that I got involved in with the, my kids' little league. Um, I was, I'm a baseball freak as much as I am a fly fishing freak um, or a fishing freak to be more, more broad. But yeah, I, so I, I joined that board, um, you know, five years ago. I'm now the president of the board, and, and so I picked a heck of a year to become president of a little league board uh, with all this mess going on around us. But um, other than that, it's been it's been fun, and allows me to, to be at the field with the boys, um, my coach. Um, this spring, we've actually gotten to go fishing, which is nice. Um, so in most springs, I've got my heels planted in the middle of a baseball field. So um, we'll take what we can get. But yeah, we. We try to we try to show the boys that we're we're active in the community that we're around. And um, my wife, she's a Cub Scout leader. Um, for my youngest, he loves he loves that. Um, so you know we're trying to raise them to be to be active in, in their community because you know if, if they're not, then they, they just get to go along for the ride. And that's not as much fun. Yeah, and you know, and, and from my experience, my, my short time. In the fly fishing world, you know, he heading up a section of a river, you know, uh, with you know, representing Trout Unlimited is a pretty tall order, especially here. You know, there's a lot of river, there's a lot of considerations, there's, I mean, there, there's just a lot going on. And for you to spend that amount of time behind it, and um, I mean, basically I could say you left, you've left an impact, and I think your shadow still remains, you know, the work that you have done still persists and I I don't think everyone catches that but someone that's really looking you know could, could see that you know and your um, your time at, at, at TU I'm sure was highly appreciated you know and, and for those coming in now that probably don't that didn't know you're there or whatever they're, they're they're missing out you know but I get it it's 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 a lot of time I mean just on Ben and I's part of just trying to spread the word about the river and, and you know involve the community in it on our own time it's it's a tall order so i can't imagine when you start adding you know budgets and manpower and you know objectives and tasks and and you know getting involved with you know potentially probably sections of the local government and and, and whatnot it just it turns into almost a full-time gig where you're just kind of putting your hands up going hey i'm just i was trying to do this for fun <laughs> yeah no it was it became that was that was actually ultimately what kind of led to me pulling a Starting the pullback mm -hmm. is because I was, you know, we were, we were all over the place. There was a, <clears throat> a local group of, of people that are kind of headliners from their, their sportsmen's conservation groups, and they, uh, they really met probably once a month in the off season, but during legislative season they almost met twice a week. Wow! Um, and they would go down and, and make comment on public policy potential um, issues down there. Um, and you know, sort of like my wife would look at me like, really, again, and then you know, eventually, began to understand what those look, looks really meant. Um, so I started, I started to pull back because of that, frankly. Because sure. Even though it was just a volunteer spot, it was you know there were there were a lot of things to do. Um, the Truckee River is, is you know, the Truckee is really actually hard to uh, to get a lot of work done on because there's so many stakeholders. Um, so the the people actually out of the, the Truckee TU office. Um, CEO and I think Dave Lass is still up there. They have they've navigated some of those yeah. those things very well, um, and so it, it's um, 
we, we partnered a little bit with the Nature Conservancy. They've done a lot of great work on the lower stretch of the river, which I'm sure you guys have all been to. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it, it's, we were there, I was there when that was kind of first getting started. Um, and so it, it's been, you know, they do a lot of that heavy lifting, which is nice because they're, you know, they're paid staff and, and you've got it in their best interest to do it. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's, you know, volunteering can become a full-time gig if you let it, that's for sure. I like that you, um, you pulled back. It doesn't mean that what you did was invalid. A lot of people, I think, look at volunteering and say, you know, I, I can't do this forever. I, I just don't want to get into it. But, you know, lifting where you stand, giving when you could give, pulling back when it's appropriate to pull back. I think if a lot more people did that, we'd have a lot more volunteers and get a lot more done. No, I, I completely agree because I've, I've, I've been in a lot of different volunteer organizations um, and you get burnout and then you're not doing the cause the justice that it deserves. And if you don't pull back and you just kind of keep saying yes when you should say no, your your energy isn't there. Um, and so I've, I've noticed that about myself over the years, that if it, that energy is there, it's, it's not there. It's time to get out. Um, right. You know, do it gracefully, obviously, but yeah. it, it's like... Yeah, you can't force it or... Can't force yeah. it. You, you, gotta, you just got to be honest with, with everybody there and, and, you know, somebody else will step up. But you know, there, there's something there that, that drove you to that point where you're like, hey, I want to take some leadership on this. I want to take some leadership on this river. I want to spread the word and, and elevate this. Maybe we could talk a little bit about something that probably still drives you to this day, and I could see it in some other activities you're doing now with, with your kids and your family and Little League. There's a certain level of passion that was probably involved with the fly fishing portion. And what was it about fly fishing that, that what is it about fly fishing that attracts you, that, that keeps, that, that brings you back over and over and what was it about that passion that maybe led you to your you know you know into that to you where you're like oh it's so cool you know but I'm just interested to know you know it, it's it's hard to think what first got me in passion about fly fishing I, I was down in Hope Valley on the Carson my dad was catching fish and I wasn't because I had just spent a week with my grandfather and he had uh, you know he'd been catching fish with worms all week so I thought I was an expert and yeah, you know, we go over there, and I'm not catching anything, and my dad's just racking them. I was like, "Ooh, that looks like more fun because you're actually moving around and doing stuff, and then, and then you actually catch fish." And so, you know, the the we were blessed. My dad, uh, my dad's he was a good friend as a kid. Was owned a fly fishing ranch on the Upper Owens um, Arcularis Ranch. It used to be called, and so that's that's literally where I learned to fly fish. Wow! And so we'd go down, stay in his cabins, and and then go out in the evening and just hope that you hook a big brown and I hooked a couple um not not as big as my grandfather I mean I, ugh, I still remember the big one they got away as we all do um but yeah it was after <laughs> it will that, haunt you forever after my that yeah but it also drives you to get back out there that's right get it again so um you know in terms of leadership it's just kind of I've always been that type of person not uh, you know not super go-getter just felt that that I could bring good ideas and, and guidance to, to things, whether it was whether it was in my fraternity in college or, or you know, in, in, in Little League or in Rotary. Um, you know, I just felt that my moral compass was right and that, that people would, you know, agree with me if it was logical and, and made sense and, and did things kind of, you know, efficiently and nicely, not a jerk. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it, it's just in there in me and my wife, you know, when I told her I was joining the Little League board five years ago, she's just like, you know, I was like, well, it's not a bad, it's not a bad league to be president of. You know, there's 700 kids in there, and she's like, she's like, I know, 
<laughs> so, you know, there's, there is something, something so. about baseball that really dry, takes takes a lot of passion. I know Nico, he's also like you, whether he knows it or not. He's got that baseball freak part of him. And I know that because every time I tell him about my kids playing soccer, even though he tries to be as respectful as possible, there's there's the look of sorrow back behind those eyes. <laughs> my, 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 my saying, Bodie, is, is, is from that classic, the movie with, with, with Tom Hanks, is that League of Their Own? Yeah. Um, you know, the no crying in baseball. Yeah. So when the kiddos start crying, I just point to the soccer field and go, that's where you go. No crying in baseball, crying in soccer. Go over there, go take it. Just kidding, Ben, but, you know. No, I, uh, I, my kid was four years old, and we were walking out of um, preschool, and I, I just momentarily forgot he was behind me. I was standing there talking to the owner, and she made a comment about no soccer, and I was like, I hope my kids never play soccer. And, like, we're walking out, and then he's like, Daddy, I never want to play soccer. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I was like, no, you can play soccer if you want to. So, yeah, I'm right there with Nico. <laughs> oh. So, you know, you made an interesting comment about the Owens River. And, and, and Ben, you may have noticed this. We've been having a little bit of a pool towards the Owens. We've really? had a couple it's people. It has been calling. It has been calling. We've, we, uh, um, um, our last podcast with Rick Says. He's on the Owens almost, I feel, daily. He doesn't give me the exact amount, but, you know, he's out there. And, you know, that's his home river. He does well on it. You know, um, a, a co-worker of mine, Jeff, grew up on the Owens, essentially, you know. And you always hear these great stories about it. It's fascinating to hear that, you know, you, you have your own personal legend here that lives on the Truckee. The legend of Bodie, right? On the Truckee, who knew it started at the Owens? And that's that's pretty interesting to hear so it's we, we got a little pull there we might have to investigate that a little bit more but um one thing i i would like to ask you in comparison with the owens and the truckee if you kind of had to scale them because i i like to tell people the truckee's one of the hardest rivers to fish period i mean comparing it to the owens i mean i'm sure you kind of you literally got your feet wet there and, and whatnot but was that was that a difficult transition from you you're like hey i know i got these fly fishing skills here's the truckee what, what was that like? What, you're like, oh, it's, I can fish it good because of the Owens, or did the Truckee make you a better Owens River fisherman? You know, I never had fished the Truckee um, when I was, you know, when I was fishing the Owens, you know, I was 16, 17, 18, um, and we were on, we were on private land, and fly fishing wasn't nearly as popular back then. I mean, it was sure. 20 some years ago, and you, you got the SoCal lures that came up, and and made it busy during the, the summer months, uh, but kind of in the off season, that's when you'd go down there because you couldn't rent the cabins out. And so, um, you know, it was it was just a completely different form of fishing. Um, much, you know, because we fished the upper islands above, above Crowley, and mm. um, it was cut banks and meandering streams, just like you picture. Um, and it was an entirely different type of fishing than the Truckee has, has ultimately become. Truckee didn't used to be this this bad. Right. Um, I say bad in, in terms of pressure, um, but now it's become much harder to catch a fish on the Truckee than it used to be, at least in my experience. And, and, you know, so I, I think, yeah, and, and lately with, with as much as we hate to bring it up with the whole COVID issue, I've noticed, you know, we've had the closure on Pyramid, and that has put a lot of 
additional pressure on the Truckee in traditional spots, like in the downtown, you know, in the downtown area and the immediate surrounding areas where like Ben and I, Ben and I had started seeing all this additional traffic. And we're just like, where are these people coming from? And lo and behold, it was because Pyramid was shut off, you know, so mm -hmm. all that traffic that would go out there, it's getting rerouted, you know, to the Truckee and you're like, well, who's this guy? <clears throat> who's this guy? And, and I can only imagine, I don't, I don't feel that their success level is high, but the spook level is super high on the fish because they're like, it's like a herd of cattle running through the river every day, yep. you know, and, and it's completely, 100% completely changed the way that we've had to approach the river, which yeah. is fine. We always look for that that challenge and that change, but maybe not in that form because now our, our additional challenges here is where we've had really high water for the past couple of years, you know, coming down murky, you know, that's, yeah. that steelhead green, you know, that deep mud brown. We get this cool side pocket water. We know exactly what's in there. And we knew almost exactly what to throw in there, something really big and buggy, like size eight, six, four, just big and ugly, heavy. And above that, throw something pink and red, like a San Juan. And nine times out of 10, something's gonna slam it, yeah. like hard. Now this year, in addition to the cattle drive, we have high water, but not as high as it has been. Yeah. It's, and it's clear, yeah. which I, I'm a perfect example, I just, it was a week or two ago, I showed Ben, I'm like, hey, let's go to Football Corner. There's just a little corner I have in Mogul, which usually always produces when the water's just way too high. There's just this little niche where you can just, you could put your pinky in there and probably catch something. Yep. We walked up and you could just see to the bottom and, you know, Ben Ben tried to his heart content. He's like, no, I know there's a fish in here. I'm like, oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. <laughs> and he know, and he's right looking at, at you too, yeah. just like just watching, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's just clear. So we have all these additional challenges, which, you know, um, Man, they're frustrating. Yeah, Some of the, oh, go ahead. yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, that was part of the thinking back to my history and fishing. Like, I mean, on the Owens, like, so on the upper Owens, it's spring fed, and so there's not much runoff, and so you're fishing that thing in the middle of the, you know, as soon as fishing season open, when traditionally those rivers down there are flowing, the Owens is fine. It's normal and it's clear, mm -hmm. and so like you didn't, you had to commando fish, like. Your knees, um, you really didn't wade much because yep. you would spook the fish, and so it was. I remember seeing ripples of fish running away from me if I wore a white shirt, like, and it became okay. What color is the grass? So what's the color shirt I'm wearing? And and like, now, now you add a bunch more people on that. That's what the truckies gonna be like for this. I mean, we, and you got to think too. I mean, with California delaying their their trout season till till May, was it May 31st? Like yeah, on, on, on the waters first, that, are, yeah. that aren't open all year round, like I mean, that's just gonna pull those of us that like to go fishing in California, which I do, gonna pull us to Nevada, <laughs> and, and more. We don't have that much water in Nevada to begin with, and now we're all gonna be on the same. Place. Right. I've, I've literally, there was some spots that before were popular, you know, not secret spots, but Nico and I were fishing last week, and one of them looked like, looked like. Sand Harbor on the Fourth of July. There were so many people there. We just yeah. need. We need. They actually. We just put bleachers there. Yeah. And they could just. Everyone just wait their turn. Yeah. And go. Oh yeah. You know. Might as well. Like free fishing day at the marina. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because yeah, with the additional traffic, it, it does cause you to have to go more back to those the roots of understanding of fishing and take you to a more base level. I know I had um, pulled off last week. Uh, my wife was at an appointment. I dropped her off, and I was going to pick her up. So I had a, a good, a pretty small window to fish um, off of Lockwood. 
when I was walking up to this pond area, and I was probably about maybe five feet from the shore, and I was gonna enter, and I hadn't even got into fishing mode yet, and as soon as I was about, I took a step about five feet away, I heard and then looked up and saw a giant splash and something big swim away. <laughs> so it had heard me mm -hmm. from so far away. Yeah. It reminded me of some of my Sierra trips down there. Um, yeah. And yeah, you, you've got to crawl up on your elbows. You've got to be stealthy. And so I think we forget that um, as <laughs> I, I do, yeah, at least. And I, I've experienced that too before, and I'm glad you shared that story about the stalking part. And I, I did that once on the West Walker mm. over in Sonora Pass. There's a wild trout section right before you head up the pass. There's a little pull out. Yep. And the first pond you could walk up to pretty much from the parking lot, I saw this nice little pond, which isn't much bigger than this room. And this room's like 10 by 10 by 10, right? Something like that. A little bit bigger than that. And I see fins and I see wake marks in this really calm pool and I'm like whoa and as I step closer I noticed those would cease and I stop and I duck and they would come back so I literally ended up and this is funny because I'm next to the Marine Corps Mountain Warfare Training Center which I spent years at before okay. so I was you know prior service which is funny I find myself on my belly belly crawling and I'm like this is why I joined the Marine Corps to teach me how to catch that fish in this pond that's what it all yeah. came to and as I get up this is my first time I've done this these fish are rising and I think they're trout. It's a trout river. And I'm laying on my belly casting to them over my head. You know, I put like a little size, this is pretty big for the West Walker, I put a size 14 uh, uh, tan, like an EC caddis up there. And then, you know, I have a miss and I'm like, I didn't miss the fish miss, I, I can see its mouth come out. I'm like, oh, that's not a trout. Mm. I do it again and it grabs and nag them and it was a little pod of whitefish. Oh, be darn. And the first white, th th wow. now this is the first whitefish I ever caught, and it was by far the biggest. Um, I can say that it exceeded, if I caught it in Nevada, it would have been a state record. <laughs> in Nevada, but I was in California. No kidding. It was that big, and there was four or five of them in there, just surfacing. Wow. But the minute I stood up, boom, they were just gone. <laughs> and then I get to another section of the river where I try the belly crawl and stuff because I see risers and I realize I didn't have to because they were burke trout. Yeah. <laughs> I could literally stand right on top of them and they were just the most yeah, aggressive fish, aggressive trout. I thought brown trout were aggressive. These brooks were just, and they were sizable, mm -hmm. you know, decent size. I mean, like 14 inch for the walker. That's a big fish. Big fish. Big bird. And they were mean. They were, and they just kept, I think there was like two of them in there and I caught them like four times. I'm like, there's a bunch. And I look in there, there's like two. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, well, I'll give you guys a break. But you know, it's fascinating. So like best, yeah. Yeah. Then they're fun. But it's great that you shared that because it's it's something that people they don't do here. Like, well, I don't have to do that. You know, for everyone, it's like, no, these fish are so keen oh. to not only humans, yeah. but everything else that walks up to the water here. You know, yeah. mountain lions, bobcats. You know, the birds. You know, we got these these eagles, these hawks, these other falcon type animals that you know are, are dropping in on the uh, uh, um, the martins, yeah. which is you know the little. The weasels that you see up in Verdi, they're jumping in the water doing just terribly murderous things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil animals. Yeah. Evil animal. And and Ben and I did run into a skunk one time that chased us up nice. river. That was another story that was bizarre. The skunk stalked us. Yeah. And 
it had its way with us, really. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. you, when you're trying to escape a skunk, and you're in the river, and they're on the shore, you can't go faster than them. No. <laughs> no. No, I was, I, at some point, Ben witnessed me as Willem Dafoe in, in Platoon running out of the forest, like, out of the bush line with my hands up and going yeah, to my knees, you know. It was bad. I, I yeah. Pretty much was a, a near loss there. There's, there's no, nothing compared to the feeling of that when you have skunk and you're kind of trapped. Like, you're just like, oh, great. Okay, what am I going to do when I get sprayed? Like, that's my next plan. It's like, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess I'll just dump in the water and hope that it washes off some of it. And, and just the last part about that is uh-huh. the skunk did spray. Did spray. But for some reason, Nico got lucky because the the part of the fluid, I guess, mm. must have hit Reeves. Yeah. Because it was, it we were close. running out of there. It looked like the movie <laughs> 2012. We, we had to split. We had to split. So Ben, I took, made Ben run in one direction. I ran in the other. And I went through, like, thick. This was last summer, last June-ish. <laughs> thick brush and yeah. inverti, like, up to here. And I'm, like, trudging through it. And I'm like, the skunk ain't going to follow me. And I get up to a tree that's, like, up to here. It's laid down. And I, I, I belly roll over it run up and then there's Ben on this thing and I run up to him and I'm like oh no my phone and I knew where I dropped it it was probably on that tree so I go back to that tree yeah. and I'm like I, I could see it this and I reach down and so I do this I reach down just like this Ben's behind me I reach down I pick it up I'm like I got it and as I turn to say I got it I That's make right. eye contact with the skunk which is about this close we're Goodness. just a couple feet away and I'm oh. like mm. and and yeah he sprayed because we could smell it but he must have just like as he turned and I ran yeah it was, I mean, he, he I, I can't tell you that, how far did I run from that skunk? That was 600 yards, 700 yards, where I thought I left him at the shoreline. Yeah, that's, yeah. Rabid. That's what I'm thinking, yep. And I went to Endow and told him about it. I'm like, hey, there's a rabid skunk. Oh, that happened. Okay. Yep. Thanks for the support. Yep, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so. I'll you check next spring. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this. I'm curious about... I wanted to know about your best fish on the Truckee. Do you have a memory of the best fish or one of your best fish, whether it's a rainbow or brown? Do you have a memory of, like, you walk away going, that's the best fish I caught on the Truckee? I haven't gotten many big fish on the Truckee, to be honest. It's, uh, I'd say my probably best memory was the first fish I caught there. Because we were out at the, okay. out of Lockwood, actually, a long time ago, before it even, you know, before any of the, any of the work had been done on the lower section. It was just, it was that riffle section, right? to the trailer park down there and and I was there but my dad mom were watching me and I was there and all the all the neighborhood kids came up and like, what are you doing and I'm like, oh, it's fly fishing trust me I know what I'm doing and, <laughs> you know like the first cast like I literally caught one and it was like man I was gosh it's probably like 13 or 14 or something Moment of glory. oh and it was just like yeah that's right I'll come give you lessons next week um, but that was probably and we took it home and ate it. I know that's that's horrible to say, but it tasted pretty good. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I, was, right. I was pretty proud of that back in the day when we used to actually keep fish, um, right? <laughs> which, is, which is an odd thing to say now. Well, there is it something is. about eating at least a couple. Yeah. I know on a backpack trip, I love mm. eating the trout to catch. Yeah. But when you're doing it for recreation repeatedly, there's you know you yeah. don't want the to be a resource can only handle so much. Yes. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was, but yeah, I'd say that was probably my top fish. Um, and granted, I haven't fished the truck as much as I would like um, recently. But yeah, it was 
It was it was certainly the most memorable one that I have. So, um, and that's that's the most important, I think, is that that memory of whether how big it was or whatnot. It's that like for you, it's catching that specific fish in that section, and yeah. you know that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's know. awesome. I don't even know if it was twelve inches. Like it wasn't big at all. But you know what? I've I've spent majority of my life stocking ten inch brook trout. So like yeah, I'm sizes up really my my driving factor. But yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And compared to the Owens, do you have any memories of, of, is there something that you walk away with going, yep. Like compared to Truckee? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know, now I, I, I'm, my feeling on the Truckee has evolved to, man, there's just too many people. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Owens, it was like you had, you had, because it was private and we were very fortunate, but yeah. um, you had just whole sections of the river to yourself. And right. Big holes where there's big fish. And if you got lucky, you could you could catch one. I mean, I never did catch the big one, but you know, if I hooked one, right? That was the when you you know we saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do with that? And it was after a particularly frustrating week when I was really starting to learn where I couldn't cast, I couldn't do anything right, and it, we just you know stars aligned. But yeah, it's it's uh, you know the truckies, there's just so many people, um, yeah. and, and 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 to the point, I'm I mean, I'm not the guy that was raised in an Orvis store. Like, so the, the leaders and the tippets and all that stuff, like, I'm like you. Like, it, it, it's very confusing at first until they get your head around it. I mean, I still remember I learned to fish with an automatic fly reel. Like, and so, sure. like, you, you, wow. you know, you fish with a line out and zip it in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, my friends made fun of me, but, hey, it was efficient. But, yeah, so it, it's uh, it's just a different different world now in, in the world of fly fishing than it was just 20 years ago. Sure. Gross country. Country bumpkins, I guess. Um, so. <laughs> so, so here's another important part. We've talked about your experience on the Truckee and the Owens. Now, I like to talk about your culinary experience. Um, in regards, do you have any fond memories of maybe like a favorite food or whatnot? Like when you're down the Owens or the Truckee, and it, it, as Ben and I like to pursue it, we like to pursue the burrito angle because it always seems that that's probably one of the most efficient foods out there because it's it's self-contained. Right, you have all your favorite ingredients in there. You got all your, you got all your carbs and proteins. You know your veggies and 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 whatnot. Sometimes you got the dairy. You have an excessive amount of protein <laughs> or whatnot. You know, but um, if you have any fond memories of that, or you know, or or, or or just whatever, like we want to get to your favorite breed at some point, whether it has to involve with fly fishing or not. My my family's <laughs> culinary tradition when we're out hunting and, and fishing is is probably suspect to a lot of other people, but like. My granddad was in the Marines, like, uh-huh. and so he, he he was in the end of World War II, and I don't know. I, we always had these big milk crates of just crackers and, like, Vienna sausages and Kippert snacks. Oh, and, yep. And so, like, yes. <laughs> to this day, Kippert snacks is what I take with me when I go fishing. They sit in my bag. They never go bad. I don't. I hope they don't ever go bad because I've eaten some really old ones. But then a bag of, you know, I take the wheat then bag out of the box to get in there um and a soda and that's that's you know that's kind of it honestly like sometimes i'll take a stick of salami some cheese but that gets a little warm and, and yeah so that gets it, weird really quick yeah it does um <laughs> but you know honestly walker burger that's probably our family's walker like, burger. the walker yes. burger yeah that's wow. probably our family's place like when we're headed down south to go fishing we, we always stop there um, the walker so, burger that's phenomenal yeah that's classic yeah Wow. Beer, beer battered onion rings. Are wow. This is touching. Six, by six the way. dollars a 
freaking for a large, but whatever. You know, yeah. Don't do it every day. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that you also mentioned the kipper snacks. I always felt alone on that. Oh, because, really? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I do bring them occasionally from time to time. Um, sometimes when I'm in company, such as with Ben, I <laughs> fail to bring them out because I'm like, people don't receive it very well. But right. I've, I, it, there's, there's like a memory thing behind it. Like where I was introduced to those as a kid and, and I, I rarely find anybody that ever indulges in them. Even my wife questions me. She's like, Kipper oh, snacks? Oh. I just, if I see them, I pass by on the store shelf, I'll grab one or two <laughs> and I got a little stack of them. I like, I have to have, I have to maintain at least two or three in my cabinet at all uh, times. Yep. And I do the same thing. I'll take, I'll bring, like like a wheat thin, or you know, I mean, if it's like a Ritz cracker or something, yeah. that and a small jar of like maybe some type of hot sauce, like a Tabasco or something, to complement it. Yeah. And there's something about it when you're really hungry and you're on the riverside and you crack open the kipper. Oh, I'll bring a little fork too because that mm. smell does not come off your hands. No, it sure doesn't. So I take it. I'll put it on there, and it feels like you're like even though I may have not caught a fish. I feel like I'm eating the fish that I would have caught and stopped and smoked. <laughs> I've eaten those things on top of many mountains, like elk hunting or deer hunting. It's just like my friends look at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. Sorry, it tastes amazing right now. Yeah. I'm not, not yeah. going to lie. But yeah, we were in Walmart shopping um, during the, the whole beginning of the of the overbuying for everybody, all the hoarding. And we were going down that aisle, and I looked up, and I'm like, ooh, Kipper snacks. And my wife looks at me, she's like, no, you already have five packs of them. Don't worry about it. You're good. It's well, look at that. I mean, yeah. no one's even hoarding them during hoard, you know, times. Know, you're right? like, you're always in good position. Yeah, we shouldn't to obtain your omegas. We shouldn't tell people about these things. I don't think we're in much yeah. worry because yeah. I think, I think people still steer away from it, you yeah. know. But it's it's hard to like. Ben, have you indulged in the kipper snack? You know what? I am trying to picture what it is exactly. Oh. What is it? Okay, so Bodie. It's uh, it's basically they they take a herring, and they smoke the crap out of it. And then they put it in a little tin. It's about like that. Mm-hmm. And they put it in there with some, some I don't know what the sauce. It's like an oil yeah, or something, like just oil, oil base, yeah. And it's it's called kipper um, because they smoke it to the point of where it's safe and it stores forever. And then you just pull off the lid and it's just pure goodness down there. So yeah, packed with omegas. Yeah, lots of protein. They're super filling. My Am I convincing style, you? <laughs> I probably had it here or there, but my wife is a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. And she, like many, are blessed and cursed with the heightened gift of smell. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't think that would fly. But no, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she's not usually there when I fly fishing. There's, there's a thing, Ben. So like, a, here's an example. If, if Bodie and I were in a different environment, maybe we're in northern stretches of montana or idaho or even alaska if we cracked a kipper snack that red flag for probably about 10 15 <laughs> miles it's it's a dangerous thing so down here it's it, safe it would be it's like safe. the the bloody shirt and the edge right it, yeah. it, it, it is the bloody shirt and the edge thank you for bringing it up that's one of my favorite movies <laughs> so yeah so if you're in a dire situation in those stretches of the world where you have the ability to um Take that animal, and that's what you're going for. Open up a can of Kipper snacks and wait, <laughs> and then do your thing. Yeah. But otherwise, it's utterly repulsive, as I have discovered with humans. So if you're trying to keep other people away, or you're fishing with mm-hmm. a group of guys that you're tired of, crack open the Kipper snack. Oh man, I spilt it on my shirt. Yeah, bummer. Because <laughs> they'll smell that even on river. It just there's something about it. it's not terrible, 
but it's not yeah, great it's, to the yeah. casual it's, it's, passerby. I had a good friend who I worked with up at the Marriott, and he was live and die by the Omega capsules. <laughs> and <laughs> once, yep, once uh, he had three capsules in his pocket, I think he was going to take them after breakfast, or I don't know why he had them in his pocket, but his keys were also in the pocket, and they broke on his keys. And I don't know why I would end up with his keys in various situations, but anytime he was around, you would always smell fish oil. And I, so I know what you mean about that smell. Yep. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's something else. So thank you for sharing the Kipper snacks. I'm glad there's someone else in the world that appreciates them. But um, <laughs> um, I always wondered who else bought them because I've never seen anybody buy them other than me and my dad. So. Yeah, you know, nobody buys them if they were there during that yeah, initial exactly right. phase. Now, Dana, it's actually kind of funny. Now, if I see him run out, I'm gonna call you yeah. and be Seriously. like, "Hey, look, I know what's going on here. You know, sure that's good to know." Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, let's roll over to burritos. Do you have uh, are, are you Dude, a burrito? I'm fan? not a burrito guy. Like Qdoba. You're fired. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> the Qdoba because it's close to my house. Yeah. I like it, but I don't like beans. So well, I, I know that's not a problem. I know. So like, okay, look here's here's my thing on burritos, Bodie. You're you're in good company here because my opinion, and and everyone's differs is beans and rice have no place in a burrito. But this is not—it's not fair because look—you have you have you have your tortilla, which Ben and I agree upon certain types of tortillas, right? We're talking right. about like mm-hmm. Ben, please explain. So there's a few tests. Jurassic. We have go Jurassic. Mm-hmm. I'll speak to the Jurassic Park test. If you're in the scene of Jurassic Park where they realize the T-Rex is out mm-hmm. and they're wondering where it is, yeah. and you have your Tortilla on the dashboard, and then the footsteps. Mm-hmm. You would have to see those seismic liquid ripples in your tortilla. That, to me, is a sign of a great tortilla. It's a thin tortilla. Well, it's thin, but it's also an indicator of like a traditionally like made Mexican tortilla is usually like fried or mm-hmm. contains uh, a, a substantial amount <laughs> of lard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when that's heated. Mm-hmm. It's almost transparent. Mm-hmm. And then that would, at some point, when it's maintaining that correct amount of heat, Bodie, yeah. like this yeah. little glass of water here, as the yeah. T-Rex approaches, that's a good sign. Yeah. So if you can almost see, you're like, oh, I can see the base ingredient in my burrito through the shell. Oh, it looks like carnitas or carne asada. I can see that nugget right there. You're in good shape. If you can't see through it, it's questionable what's going on. <laughs> They're not sharing the secret. So... But so that's that's one thing. Yeah. So I, I can appreciate you're not a fan of burritos, and it sounds like at some point it was spoiled by beans and rice, and there is ways around can that. Be, yeah. yeah, and we can you bring know, you back from that. I can say this: we usually are looking for that rare place to get a burrito. But you did mention Qdoba. Mm-hmm. It happens to be one of our family go-tos. Right. When you're with the family, it's not the time to go down that alley and look for that. Special true, burrito. True. You will be an unpopular dad. Yeah. You'll win the battle and lose the war. You might be a war. single dad. Yeah. Yeah. So I always go to Qdoba, and they actually, I, I, um, it, it fits I do the bill. this plant-based mm-hmm. diet. So basically, I've been doing it now for quite some time. But I'll get the Qdoba 
um, fake meat, mm. Mm. and then I'll get white rice, and I'll just throw in a bunch of different sauces. And I can tell you, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Some cilantro in there. It's very filling, and, and one thing about Cordova is they're generous with their portions. They, they are. They are. They are. You got some agents working in your favor, Ben. Look, I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan of the non-meat eating thing, but I'm also a fan of the fact that you can, you can compensate for that. And I understand with, um, you know, the different add-ons, the cilantro, and, and whatnot. We just had a discussion about onions, so I won't bring onions up. But um, I get it, and and it could be great. It really can. Well, really can. I, I will say this, from a plant-based, a person who's been plant-based now for a long time, yeah. you're not going to achieve the taste and the joy with plant-based meats right. that you are with real meat. Right. And anybody who says that is, it's a bold-faced lie. Right. So like, I, won't, I well, won't state that. It's good to know. Well, yeah. And Ben, as you can see, he's very happy on the outside, but on the inside. <laughs> It's dark. It's very dark. Yeah. Yeah. He cries for the pork. Beef, like I understand I'm your relationship. Sad on the yeah. outside, happy yeah. on the and deep inside. I could live out with carnitas. carnitas. I mean, yeah, I, I trust I do like Kidoba's carnita burrito. Like, I get that all the time. So yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's another one in town. Um, oh, my gosh. What is it? Oh, my gosh. It's on King's Row, like Cielato, Slindo, or whatnot. Mm. I'm butchering the name. And it actually had some rice and beans in the burrito, which at first I was like, ah. But they did something special. They achieved this whole new level of lard in, in the tortilla, and they minimized the amount of rice and beans and then had the amount of cilantro and greens in there with the carnitas. So it was spectacular. It was yeah. bite after bite. I'm like, okay, I, can, I will take this as a full meal. <laughs> I, I will make, I'll, I'll, I'll break away from my standard, you know, but... Um, it's it's worth it was worth a try, but I, I love the fact that you brought up kippers. I'm going to circle back to that. That's that's fascinating. It's a rare thing to find. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. It it's, does speak to that primitive going back to does. that raw basics of fishing. Smoked outdoors. fish. I mean, that's that's. You know, and that's where I mean my family comes from when it comes to fishing. Where, where I'm the more most elitist probably person of the family. Everybody else is just you know our purpose is to catch fish and sometimes eat them. You know, and my dad quit eating them because he didn't like cleaning them. Um, so it, it's never been a, you know, I'm the more, like, yeah, we need to preserve the resource, do the conservation work. And, sure. But, yeah, everybody in my family, it's about, about getting out there and whatever works. And so, yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty basic. Like, I mean, I didn't even own a pair of waders until I was probably 28. Yeah. So if I got in the water, I got in the water and got wet. So wow. So it was no big deal. But, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, there's a time and a season, and to me, it's it's about getting out there in whatever capacity you have access to, where that leads is where it leads. But yeah. um, I wanted to ask you, for our listener um, who's, you know, they see fly fishing, they see the truckie, they, they, they're in a lifestyle where maybe they're, you know, it's more of a hands-on phase of life with their young family or... Maybe now they do have time. What What do you recommend for someone who wants to get out there? What steps should they take or who should they connect with? You know, it, it comes down to what level they're wanting to get out there. Like, I mean, my kids, <clears throat> one seven, doesn't, can't 
stand on a creek longer than 15 minutes without complaining. Mm. Um, my 11 year old is just gung ho. And so I took them, we went fishing the other day just up uh, um, Thomas Creek. And there's people everywhere. Um, you know, Thomas Creek's a little tiny potable stream. And you know, we're dunking worms. We're not fly fishing because it's, it's too, too much for, for them. But catching my older son, loves to go commando, get on his belly, and get into the holes that are covered by willows and come out with a fish. Like my, my youngest one, he's not there yet, but he will be. So, I mean, you gotta find something that will get them to wanna come back. Whether that you go to the stream and you're not catching any fish, so you just throw pine cones in the, in the, in the stream and watch them go, because that's fun too. Um, something to get them to go back. Um, once, once they get to that technical ability of, of, of getting fish on the line and being able to reel it in then then you got to be you know then the then the real instruction begins in the way of fly fishing and you know you learn in the yard um, that's where I learned really um, the, to perfect the cast and you just you, you got you got room there you don't get hung up in trees and then you gradually start to start to at least that's how it worked with me gradually start to implement you know or in, increase exposure to the water and, and soon enough they'll catch fish yeah, it's almost like you want to promote the natural graduation to the sport itself, you know, or, or the art yeah. of, of fly fishing because it's something that definitely isn't forced. Like my, myself personally, I, I had fished ever since I was conscious of it, you know, probably from the age of five or so, you know, and, and it was always, you know, the, the uh, what do you call them, the upside down is the bait casting reels or yeah, the Zebco 33s, man. The Zebcos, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you start yeah. on those and then, you know, yeah. you're doing this thing and you're, and you're fishing for. Uh, you know, for, for bluegill and bass and stuff like that. And then and then trout were always elusive. And, and I grew up in Southern California, so trout was a winter thing that was planted, and it was good for like two months out of the year. <laughs> so the rest of the time you're chasing these warm water species. And, you know, eventually I found my way up here, you know, and then in the Sierras I was always attracted to them. You know, you start catching fish on spin rods and stuff. And then I started making it a regular occurrence to go up to, like, Prosser. Right. And, and, and wow, what a great lake. You know, it really is. You go up there and they have, you know, stock trout and, you know, some holdovers in there. There's always a surprise breed in there. Yeah. And then and then when things are too hot, they have smallmouth. Right. So you're like, oh, I give up on the trout, especially in the summer. It's like trout fishing early morning and the rest of the day it's smallmouth. And then at nighttime, we go back to the trout. But then it was like this approach of all this spin stuff. I'm throwing this big clumpy stuff in the water and I could literally watch the smallmouth spook. Yeah. You know, they scatter yeah. and they come back, or they'll come up to the shoreline two or three feet away from you and look at you. Yeah, yeah. And as you dangle stuff and they just look at you and they, they'll, they'll hit the bait it. with their head like this. <laughs> you're like, this is absolutely absurd. And then there was days where you're camping and I would watch the lake boil. Literally boil. They had these, these black like midges coming off the water and the lake would erupt. With, with fish and I mean it still does it to this day in periods in June and July it's absolutely amazing and I'm like how do I get it on that because the minute you go in there with the spin rig they're not interested it's not they're wanting. Yeah. so that's where I took steps into fly fishing and I was well, I I'm a junior too it was like 8 years ago but yeah you put, I put a mosquito on the water boom yeah, yeah. boom 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 and I'm like oh I, I, I missed out but it was a graduation you know so if someone forced me into that you know, oh, you know, fly fishing did it. I'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah, I think you got to get. I think it's fly fishing is a lot of work, especially with little ones. You have to 
they have to want to work and you don't get that unless you caught fish like just the old-fashioned way you know, right. like worm and, and you know the spinner I mean like yeah I spent a lot of time in high mountain lakes with with a super duper a freaking panther martin or you know yep. I mean all those things but cast master you can really throw that sucker far but I mean once you catch fish then you realize okay there's a better way mm -hmm. like and you can see all the fish jumping around you that's you know they gotta have that I think they gotta have that experience somehow before they really can convert to fly fishing right unless they don't have a choice like ours don't have a choice with soccer like you know right. you're playing baseball not soccer <laughs> so, so you could do it that way too <laughs> well it's funny it's how my my son he's getting close to 11 and about two years ago i put him on a fly rod just to see how he would take to it because he knows how to spin fish he could sit there and hunk a big heavy lure across a lake you know i'm like let's try this and he's like yeah. he's like well how do i do it and i'm like pretend you're check swinging yeah. <laughs> a check swing and he's like what i'm like just like a like a check swing just yeah. <laughs> instead of check swinging like this just hold it above your head yeah. and he took it and i said just pretend you're holding a bat and you're just going like this and next thing I know, he was having these fluid fly casts, which took me, like, years to get. And he was just sitting there going like this. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. Here, just give me the rod. <laughs> you know, but it's funny at a young age, you know. But, when, but you know, when they feel that success, they're excited about it. They're like, oh, cool, now I know how to do that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, now it's like he has an inherent ability to be like, oh, if I forget how, oh, check swing. Yeah. Boom, there yeah. it is, yeah. you know. So, but that that's fascinating. And I love to hear stories about Thomas Creek, that's a cool little creek with a little bit of history you know, on it too. I, I spent a lot of times up there in high school when I should have been in class. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, yeah. awesome. Was well, there anything else you like to spread word about, Bodie? About you know um, anything you can think of? You with know, one with thing we didn't mention is huh? your line of work. Yeah. Um, no. Well, yeah. Tell us about what you do and and uh, just briefly why you got into that because we were talking about that before the podcast and I, I found it you know yeah really I, fascinating. I so I'm a financial advisor um, here locally at a, a small boutique firm in South Reno and you know honestly I started down that path when I was probably about 12 years old. My dad my dad always kind of invested. Um, you know, in his IRAs back then when he could, it was $2,000 a year. That was the most you could put in, and he'd always tell me, yeah, I put this in, and it didn't really mean much to me. But um, when I was 12, he took me to a luncheon with this guy named Peter Lynch, who... Um, wow, that's the first book I read, One Up on Wall Street. Yeah, so um, one, of the, one of the best investors of all time, and so I just happened to be in the right place, and, and so for some reason, he made it more interesting than my dad did, and so I... Uh, I continued to kind of pay attention to that world, and my dad and I would talk about it, you know. And, and I didn't know that that's what I was going to do, but um, it looked interesting. And when I went to college, I, I was majoring in geological engineering for about two weeks. Um, and I was walking around, I was like, man, all the good-looking girls are in business school. Like, and I don't want to be out in the middle of Nevada by myself with, you know, a non-good-looking girl. So... Um, but it was, you know, at 18, you make these awesome life decisions. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I quickly, I switched over to finance and then wanted to do this. Um, didn't do it right away because I realized or I thought that as a 23-year-old, it looked like I was 12. People wouldn't trust me kind of with their life savings. But um, I needed some life experience, so dinked around, had a long business, and did all sorts of things, really. But then eventually in, when 08 crisis hit, that's when I, I quit my job in construction and said, all right. I'm ready to do this now. So, uh, been been doing that ever since, and so 
I got two crises under my belt now, um, and so hopefully we'll get out of this one soon. But yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting interesting career. Not quite what I thought it was going to be, um, but still enjoyable nonetheless. So. Awesome. So for those out there looking for a financial advisor, is that something that you can share, like a website or? Yeah, we're, we're Legacy Wealth Planning. Um, okay. And so lwpreno.com, I think, is our website. Um, but yeah, we're we're all. I think there's seven advisors in that office. Um, registered investment advisor um, kind of we all come from bigger bigger shops um, and have all kind of joined up together so and we're founders I think did it 14 years ago and I've been there well I've been there for almost five or almost six now I lose track now so but yeah it's it's a it's a good group of people and, and it's a lot of a lot of good good clients that's probably the part that I wasn't anticipating. You know, you think you're just managing money, but you're you're really actually you're impacting people's lives um, because they need money to do to do whatever they want to do, want to do whether it's send their kids to college or retire. And, and so we have we have a very heavy weight um, on our shoulders to help them achieve those those goals. You know, we're not can't tell the future, but um, right. we have we have pretty good guidance. I think. Oh, you love that, that your shop is a collective of people that came from bigger entities, and Ben and I can identify that, because we, we met, we were both, we both came out of Fortune 5s, mm-hmm. and, or Fortune 500s, and um, we ended up at a, well, quite the opposite of a Fortune 500 location, <laughs> and we eventually found our way out, you know, but um, it's interesting when you bring that skill set of, you know, from a, a bigger organization, and you pull it in a smaller local organization, you can really take that experience a long way and benefit anyone that you are trying to assist, you know, because you, know, you bring that experience to the table and you see both sides of it, Yeah, you know, and that, that, that's something to be appreciated. So uh, We definitely all count our blessings every day. Right. We get to go into to work and, and it's, uh, we feel pretty, pretty fortunate and pretty happy to be where we are. So. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. You got anything else, Ben? No, I just want to thank you for coming on. I, I really enjoyed uh, hearing from you, and um, I just want to tell our listeners that, you know, life is short. Right now you are in a spot possibly where your life has changed. You mm-hmm. find you have more time. There's, there's no time better than this to look at doing the things you've always wanted to do. So right. I, I encourage everybody to... Follow Bodhi's example and, and yeah. take life by the horns. Get out there. Get out there. You're never going to have a runoff this clear again in May. So. Nope. Nope. And no better way to socially distance than get on the river because, regardless of how close you want to get to your buddy, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Fly fishermen have that built in buffer. Like, you're too close. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Well, awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being a guest today, Bodie. We appreciate your time. And thanks appreciate for having you, guys. It was fun. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, All right. Too. And thanks again to our sponsors, The Hive, here in downtown Reno and, and Butcher.com. Thank you.